Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a free Minnesota mental health crisis hotline gets a last-minute rescue from the state. U of M Athletic Director Mark Coyle on this week's announcement about the new name for Mariucci Arena and a report on aquatic invasive species. But first, Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson announced a lawsuit earlier this week against Louisiana-based CenturyLink, accusing the company of taking advantage of Internet and cable service customers. I spoke with Swanson about the allegations and why she brought the lawsuit. Build higher amounts than it quoted to customers for internet and cable television service. So people would call the company up and say, I want internet service, I want cable service. The company would give them a quote, and then it would charge, in many cases, a much higher price than it quoted. On the back end, the company would then often refuse to honor the prices that were quoted to consumers who caught the discrepancies on their monthly bills. Um, you know, customers can't comparison shop if companies don't give people the straight answers about their prices. Um, you know, and a lot of people, cable and, you know, internet service is, is a big bite out of people's monthly budget. They want to shop around for the best rates, but it makes it pretty hard to do that if a company is giving you deceitful rates about what prices are going to be charged. So that's what the suit's all about. Um, and, you know, our hope and aim in the lawsuit is to get the company to change its practices, um, both on the front end in terms of quoting accurate amounts, but then, you know, it, it should be fixing the problems for these people who, you know, were quoted one price and are being charged a much higher price, and we'd want to see people get their money back. And Attorney General, is there is there one or two uh, particularly egregious examples involving Minnesota's uh, customers that you might be able to share with me? Yeah, so we, um, there. this is happening to many people in all parts of Minnesota and all walks of life. Um, we had a a gentleman who is a PhD in economics and he was quoted 14.95 for internet service. We have a tape recording of the call where they quoted him 14.95 for internet service, but then the price they actually charged him was 29.95 for internet service. Um, you know, in other cases somebody was quoted 39 bucks for the base rate for cable television and the bill comes through and it was $72. And so these are significant amounts and those are just monthly rates and month after month this compounds to big money for people and um, you know is, is uh, you know very significant. And then sometimes the company would say, well, we're going to charge you you know, early termination fees of $200 if you leave early. And so we have cases where, you know, consumers were charged double the amount they were promised for Internet or cable service. They called the company up and tried to fix the problem. The company wouldn't fix the problem, even when the tape recording showed that the customer was misquoted. People would say, well, then I want to leave your company. And the company would say, you can't. You have to pay a $200 early termination fee. So it's a very difficult situation and a very deceitful situation that's been occurring. Are you encouraging Minnesotans who feel like they may have fallen victim to this to contact your office? Yeah, absolutely. We, we want to hear from people. We can include their situations in the lawsuit if we do. And again, the aim would be to try to solve the problem for people and try to get people money back. Have you heard anything at all from CenturyLink since the suit was filed? Not since the suit was filed. I have not. Uh, did you hear anything from them beforehand? We did beforehand, just in the sense we served um, you know, subpoenas on them and tried to get information from them. They were pretty lackluster in their cooperation. They gave us some materials, um, including, for example, an email of one of their employees where she's saying 
that part of her job is to respond to customer complaints. And in this email, she says maybe one out of five are quoted correctly or close enough and goes on to say she has one complaint on her desk today where they were quoted $39 and it, the bill's over $100 monthly. And in this email, she describes the runaround people are getting, you know, we'll call you back, we'll fix the situation. And then the company, you know, this goes on for many months, and then eventually people complain to offices like mine or the Better Business Bureau. But we had asked the company, for example, for tape recordings of some of the calls, and they told us, gee, they don't exist, we don't keep them that long. And we were able to go to third-party vendors of the company and get some of the recordings which show, you know, what people were actually quoted. So we, we heard from them in the sense of we tried to get information from them during the investigation, and their response was, you know, pretty deficient from my perspective. So when we call places and we hear that uh, the call may be recorded for customer service uh, purposes, that actually does happen? Yeah, sometimes it does happen. It depends on the company. But um, in this case, there were some recordings made of some of these calls. But again, the company was saying, well, we didn't keep them that long. We said we want them. And they said we don't have them. And then, you know, we went to the third-party vendors, and at least some vendors in some cases still had tape recordings. But, you know, one, one of the things I'm encouraging people to do in this type of situation, if you're calling an Internet or cable company for quotes, is, you know, really try to drill down on what is the total price going to be. And if you can, get it in writing to protect yourself. Ask them to put the quote in writing. Any legitimate business that's going to try to sign you up as a customer ought to be willing to put their promises in writing. A spokesperson for CenturyLink responds that they've been cooperating with the Minnesota Attorney General's office since its inquiry began and have provided all the information requested. The company says it's disappointed that Swanson chose a press conference to communicate her concerns instead of contacting CenturyLink directly. They say they take the allegations seriously and will review and respond in due course. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A well-used mental health hotline slated to close after business hours Friday received a last-minute lifeline from the state health department. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. The Crisis Connection Hotline that was first established back in 1969 received $139,000 from the state to keep the line operational through at least September. I spoke with Matthew Eastwood, CEO of Oakdale-based Canvas Health, which operates the Crisis Connection just prior to the state's 11th hour rescue. Matthew, can you tell us a little bit about the hotline? Well, Crisis Connection, which is an LLC that we acquired 
seven years ago, um, has been struggling financially, and we've been supporting it for those seven years. We had sought support through the Minnesota legislature during this past legislative session, and our efforts in that regard failed. So we have had to make a decision to scale that service back to just those contracts that are currently paying their share of the support of the service. So we're eliminating um, some numbers. This service has been operated, perhaps not by you folks, but for nearly 50 years and has helped thousands of, of, of people. Can you tell us a little bit about the scope of how many people this this hotline has helped? Oh, yeah, it's astronomical, really. Um, Crisis Connection has been in existence since 1969 and taking phone calls from people in crisis, having a mental health or substance use crisis. Um, and certainly over those years, it has to be many, many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives that have been positively impacted. Last year alone, <clears throat> we took 35,000 phone calls uh, from uh, people in crisis of one form or another. Um, 400 times it was to the level or to the um, level of acuity that we needed to call in first responders um, in order to, you know, help that person um, secure their safety. So uh, that's something they've been doing for 50 years. They do it very, very well. They really are expert at it, and um, it's really a shame that we're, we're losing some of that service. And any idea why um, lawmakers during this past legislative session never, I guess, um, embraced your guys' uh, proposal? Well, you know, it's an interesting comment because, um, you know, we had very good support all through the initial hearing process, both in the House and the Senate, and bipartisan support. We had as many Republicans as Democrats sign on as authors to this bill and, and great support from, from both parties. Um, you know, I don't, um, you know, begrudge the governor and legislators anything that they do. I think they have very tough jobs. They have people coming at them all of the time with proposals. And, and somehow I, I think, you know, this just didn't carry the weight that they felt it needed to, to get funding. Um, but they have tough jobs. And, you know, it was a very odd session in some respects. <clears throat> I know there were lots of, um, you know, important initiatives out there that didn't get funded uh, either. So it, it just is what it is. And, you know, part of our intent had been to basically call the question for the state. <clears throat> we see this service as an important public safety, public health issue. And the only really long-term sustainable and appropriate funding for it is at the state level. <clears throat> at least that's our belief. And, and that was the question we were asking the state. And um, we had said early on in our own process that, you know, we might be overestimating the value of this service. I hope that we are. Um, but we needed the state to answer the question for us, do they value it as much as we value it, and do they value it enough to fund it? Um, and the answer at this time anyway is no. And so we need to accept that and move on as an organization. And let's say, I, I don't know, let's say, I mean, you got the magical call that you perhaps could get this funding, like something changed in the next day or two. Would you folks be willing to continue this hotline? Absolutely. Um, that's been our goal all along is to maintain the service, not to exit from it. So, you know, if there were some sort of angel investor or the state decided they had some unspent dollars and, and wanted to put them toward this service and it would cover the cost, you know, we would certainly be willing to look at continuing to provide the service. 
And that's exactly what happened just hours before the hotline was to shut down. State health officials recognized the importance of keeping the Crisis Connection hotline operational and kicked in nearly $140,000. I immediately reached back out to Matt again for comment. We're very thankful to Governor Dayton and to Commissioner Ellinger for uh, and their staff for putting together this bridge funding uh, that will allow us to keep open in Minnesota, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and the uh, main crisis connection phone line. Um, the, the funding allows us to extend those services into the new year, which means that it allows us an opportunity to get our proposal back in front of the legislature one more time. Um, so we're thankful for that. It's not a permanent solution, but it's, it's certainly very welcome and allows us as an agency and an organization to continue to live by the mission of, of Crisis Connection, which is that no one in Minnesota in crisis should ever be alone. Thanks again to my guest, Matthew Eastwood, CEO of Oakdale-based Canvas Health, which operates the Crisis Connection hotline. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver? This one, Dad? Uh, no, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Uh, because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter. Why? Because I love you! <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Alright. <sighs> Now pass me the new filter. Why? Ha <laughs> <laughs> very funny. <laughs> Take time to be a dad today. For more information, dial 1-877-432-3411 or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The University of Minnesota announced this week it has sold the naming rights of Mariucci Arena to Maplewood-based 3M for $11 million over a 14-year contract. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Golden Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle to discuss the decision. 
Well, kind of an exciting announcement, Mark. Uh, let's talk about this uh, and what it means to the University of Minnesota, a new name on Mariucci Arena. Yeah, you know, obviously we're very excited with, with 3M Arena at Mariucci, and, and the great thing about this, Mike, was, you know, throughout our entire conversations with 3M, they understood the importance of Mariucci and what it meant to the state in this arena. They understood the importance of Gopher men's hockey, and it's just a great fit that we keep the Mariucci name a part of the arena. And obviously, anytime you can associate yourself with 3M and a worldwide company that's so respected, uh, it's a win-win for all of us, and we're very excited about it. It's a nice little windfall of money. What, where will that money go, and how will the athletic department use it? Well, that money will go towards our Athletes Village project. Uh, you know, we're very excited about that. Obviously, as we continue to fundraise for that, and that will open up in January of 2018. So we'll continue to fundraise uh, and put that money towards that. And then also with our partnership with Gopher Sports Properties, you'll see more signage within the arena, and some of that money will go towards Gopher Sports Properties as well. You mentioned uh, keeping the name Mariucci. There, I think most people understand this is the way business is done now, but there's a handful out there that said, oh, it's a money grab or you know, disrespectful to a, a legendary coach. How do you, how do you uh, coincide or reconcile those kind of emotions with, with fans? Well, you know, I think the first thing is they have to understand that this is a partnership, and we did keep Mariucci a part of the name. That that was very important, and that's why it was important to us to find the right partner, and 3M understood that. So we, we made it very clear to 3M. 3M made it very clear to us that they wanted Mariucci to be a part of it. Obviously, what Coach Mariucci did, not only as a student athlete, but as a coach here, means a lot to this program. And, and again, it was very important to 3M and to us that we kept Mariucci a part of it, and that's why it's still here. And we'll always celebrate Mariucci in the arena. You look at our All-American board, he's up there right now, the largest one. That's not going to change. And again, we're just grateful for 3M believing us and having an impact on all of our student athletes. As you go about putting together something like this and, and try to create partnerships and opportunities, how important was it to have a company like 3M that, one, is local? I mean, they, they've been 115 years, started in Minnesota, stayed in Minnesota, but two, that did understand what you're talking about, maybe understands the history of, of all involved. You know, Mike, I've been very fortunate. I've been a part of two naming deals. When I was at Boise State, we named our football stadium, uh, Albertson Stadium, and then now here at Minnesota with our with our hockey arena and 3M Arena at Mariucci. And, and I can tell you, those conversations uh, take a long time, and if you don't have common ground right away, they are not going to work. And, and what was great about this one, as we mentioned before, was 3M understood the importance of Mariucci. They understood the importance of gopher hockey and the tradition that this has in the state, and we didn't want to do anything that would disrupt that. And again, we're very comfortable with the name, excited about the name and excited about the future. You mentioned the uh, the prospects that this money will help uh, go to the fundraising efforts for Athletes Village. Give us a little update there. You mentioned it opens in, in, in January of 2018. Um, and and kind of, man, you drive by campus and uh, it's going up quick. It, it changes daily. You know, Mike, we're, we're so grateful for Mortensen Construction. You know, those guys are working hard on it and, and it's going great and, and we're excited, you know, to see our student athletes walk by it every day and to see the look on their face. I've had a chance to do a couple tours and it changes all the time. And, you know, it, you know I've talked before you know, we don't need to have the biggest house in the neighborhood, but we want to be in the neighborhood. And in the Big Ten, this puts us in the neighborhood. And I can tell you, I'm starting to hear from other athletic directors, other coaches across the country saying, hey, what are you guys doing up there? We want to check it out. That means you're doing something special when other schools are calling you. And what what does this gift mean in terms of where you are progress-wise to, toward the goal of, of uh, where you want to get to uh, money-wise? Yeah, well, this puts us over $92 million. Uh, our, our end goal is $166 million for the facility, and we'll continue to fundraise for it. Uh, but there's no doubt that this this sponsorship and gift by 3M goes a long way in helping us get towards that goal, and we're confident we'll continue to move forward and, and get the people involved in our program to help us take it to the next level. For those that maybe aren't that familiar with the project and are peripheral fans, take us through what Athletes Village is all about. 
Well, you know, it, it's a very comprehensive project. You know, we have a training table that will be able to feed all of our 725 student athletes. Uh, we have a basketball performance center for our men's program, a basketball performance for our women's program. And what that means, Mike, is we'll have practice courts, office space, training room, weightlifting areas for our student athletes for those two programs. And then the top two floors are dedicated to what we call our student athlete development program, our life skills program. And that's where we do a lot of uh, stuff off the court, off the field, outside the classroom with our student athletes. We have a great partnership with Land O'Lakes. Uh, we have a leadership training that Land O'Lakes is doing with our student athletes. So, you know, we talk all the time. We want our student athletes to show up with a backpack and leave four years later with a briefcase. You know, with the Fortune 500 companies that we have here in the Twin Cities in the state, how can we go out and contribute and be a part of those Fortune 500 companies? So it's going to be a game changer. Then obviously on the football side, we have a brand new indoor football facility that will be a part of that, as well as a football performance center, new weight room, um, athletic medicine facility for our football student athletes too. So it's going to impact a lot of our programs and we're excited about it. And the existing football facility now can be used for other sports as well, and it frees up uh, some, some room for, every, for all the other sports. Yeah, almost every one of our sports uses our current indoor football facility. So when football can move into the new uh, indoor football facility, our other sports can spend more time in our old indoor football facility, but at the same time, our other sports will be able to use the new Athletes Village uh, indoor football facility. You mentioned Land O'Lakes as part of, of the facility, the Athletes Village. You have 3M now at Mariucci. Um, I have to ask you, Williams Arena is across the street from where you and I are talking. Is there something? in the future? Could a partnership work out there if an opportunity presents itself? Well, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I talked earlier, you know, we have to be very strategic in how we do these things. And what I mean by being strategic, you know, there's a lot of conversations that take place on campus first. Uh, so we would need to have those conversations on campus first to see what the appetite is to do something like that, not do something like that. And then, as I mentioned earlier, is, uh, you know, is it the right partner? You know, you got to have a lot in common before you do that, because again, Williams Arena, such a historic tradition filled uh, facility. So if we ever went down that road, there's got to be a lot of things that fall in place before we, we explore that. A good, exciting day. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much. Go Gophers. That's Gopher AD Mark Coyle and MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. Minnesota Matters will return after this. If your walls could talk, what would they say? I have held the same mirror for 13 years. I have been decorated with purple dinosaurs, baseball teams, and football helmets. I have witnessed 33 Thanksgiving dinners. And one wedding proposal. I have tiny notches marking the growth of three children. I have caused a learning disability. I am the reason that a fifth grader simply can't sit still. I am responsible for a five-year-old's rage. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on walls, doors, windows, and sills. Today, lead paint poisoning affects over one million children. If your home was built before 1978, your family could be at risk. Let's make all kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LED. I am the reason a child has trouble hearing. If your walls could talk, what would they say? Brought to you by the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning, EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. We're right in the middle of the best part of summer, and although the cotton isn't high in Minnesota, corn is getting up there, and people are camping and fishing and boating. If you're out on Minnesota's eastern border waters this weekend, along with that much-needed dose of relaxation, you might get a little schooling also, and we're not talking about fish. The St. Croix River Association has teamed up with the Department of Natural Resources in both Minnesota and Wisconsin to educate boaters about aquatic invasive species. They'll be doing inspections at several landings from Osceola, Wisconsin, downstream to Afton Bluffs Regional Park. MNN's Bill Werner talked with Christine Hakala-Coons, Regional Watercraft Inspection Supervisor for the Minnesota DNR. We were 
invited um, by the St. Croix River Association to participate in their Decon Blitz, as they're calling it, on the St. Croix River for this weekend. And so what we're doing is providing um, our Decon units as well as Chisago County and uh, the DNR in Wisconsin. And we're sort of... Um, kind of having a concentration of our decon units, providing education as well as decontamination of watercraft for aquatic invasive species. And you mentioned you're working with Wisconsin as well, um, which would make sense, obviously, because the St. Croix borders the two, is the border of the two states. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and t tell us, if you will, you, you mentioned enforcement and education. Can we talk, first of all, I guess, let's talk a little bit about the enforcement aspect of it first, uh, if you will. What kinds of things, uh, invasive species, are you going to be looking for, and what should people be doing uh, to avoid uh, moving these around in various waterways in Minnesota? Sure. So the invasive species um, that we will be looking for, for example, zebra mussels, uh, spiny water fleas, faucet snails. We're also looking for aquatic plants of any kind. And so what people can really do to ensure that the inspection process goes really well, either when they encounter inspector, or we hope that everyone is doing a self-inspection on their watercraft before they leave the water access or before they decide to go out um, on their uh, adventure for the day. Uh, so you want to make sure that you have all your plugs removed in your watercraft. You want to make sure that your watercraft is clean of any aquatic plant material. It has been drained. Um, and just really look over your watercraft. So you're saying remove the plugs, inspect, uh, inspect it for any weeds or any other thing that's, that might be caught on any of the mechanism, right, or, or the underside attached to the yes, underside, something like that? Yes, and looking at all your equipment that you also are taking with you for the day. So, for example, looking at fishing lines and fishing nets, um, you know, rafts, swim rafts, uh, those tubes, things that people are using that contact the water that could potentially either carry invasive species or have invasive species attached to it. you got to be pretty thorough about it, it sounds like. Um, you know, give it, give it just a good going over, right, when you leave the water? Yeah, and, you know, really it should take you about three to five minutes to really give your watercraft, your trailer, and your equipment a good look over. Yeah, okay, and that is, uh, you, I assume, would argue that that's a reasonable amount of time to avoid spreading these uh, aquatic invasives around uh, various parts yes. of Minnesota, right? Yeah. If a person doesn't do this, is there a fine, or is it for repeated violations, or how does that work? So when someone encounters an inspector, and let's say there is a violation, mm -hmm. um, those violations are going to be noted and turned over to enforcement. It will be up to enforcement, conservation officers or licensed peace officers, to make any determinations on um, fines or any kind of uh, law enforcement action going forward. Understand. Okay, now that's something people are always wondering about, you know, if they make the mistake the first time, do they get a fine and so on. But it, it, it sounds like that's kind of somewhat dependent on the circumstances. 
Correct. And, you know, if you go through the inspection process, you know, and encounter an inspector, you know, the inspector is going to educate you about aquatic invasive species laws, uh, let you know if you possibly have a violation, um, what you can do in the future to avoid that, how we can correct it. And really what we're there to do is provide customer service and help people and educate them about AIS and the laws. I mean, I assume that you'd much, much rather do that rather than just be finding people all the time, right? And, you know, right. have, yeah, have the want be good behavior. Yeah, we want people to do the right thing. Is, is this something that is planned elsewhere around Minnesota as the summer progresses? Are, are you able to tell us anything about that? No, this is uh, a unique event. Mm. Um, and so Angelique Dahlberg, it, she's with the St. Croix River Association. It's really um, something that she has planned out and invited um, all of us participating agencies to be a part of. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So as we get into the peak of summer, everyone, please have a safe weekend on Minnesota's rivers and lakes and roads, too. Switching gears as we wrap things up this week, changes are coming to the Minnesota Department of Vehicle Services this month that may have an impact on customers statewide. Spokesman Bruce Gordon explains. So if you need to renew license plate tabs or transfer titles or complete some other transactions, uh, Minnesotans need to be aware of some limited driver and vehicle services on July 17th through the 24th. Specifically, what should those folks be planning ahead for? If at all possible, if you need to renew your tabs or take care of any of those other kinds of transactions, try to do them in advance of uh, July 17th. As far as the changes that are taking place, uh, how may, once they're in place, how may that impact customers? Once the computer system has been uh, installed and upgraded and all the changes have been made, consumers and, uh, will find that their records are updated immediately. As they leave the office, the system will be updated. In the past, the paperwork had to be transmitted to uh, St. Paul. It had to be processed, and sometimes additional information might have been uh, required. People will know when they leave the, uh, the driver and vehicle services office or uh, deputy registrar that their record has been updated in real time. Any other key information that you'd want to touch upon? Well, it's really important that customers call their local office for hours and service availability during the system replacement during July 17th through the 24th. And if you want to renew your tabs online, make sure that that happens before July 17th so that you get your tabs back before the, uh, the end of the month and the deadline. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.